0: Hey, all right.
1: Hey, welcome to Viral. I'm Quinn. I'm Lindsay. So, Lindsay, yeah. um, how much would you pay for a petri dish of old mold?
0: Mm, I think it depends on the type of mold.
1: What if I told you it was from Alexander Fleming's lab and um, was part of his discovery of penicillin?
0: Uh, yeah, put that on my birthday list. <laughs>
1: Would you pay approximately $14,617 for it? Because that's how much it was auctioned off for today.
0: That's a lot of money for some old mold. Yeah. Wow.
1: That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. Uh, It was signed by Fleming himself as the mold that first made penicillin. (laughs) But he apparently sent off a lot of these different samples to foreign dignitaries around the world, including the Pope and Winston Churchill.
0: Wow, that's I would apparently love he would that in the mail.
1: carry them around with him and give them to people and he actually I guess gave gave them to the queen on multiple occasions so she was like I get it you carry around mold please stop giving it to me.
0: He was totally that guy. The uh hey uh I got I'm dropping this new album. Uh it's called Old Mold.
1: Old Mold. I guess it was in uh, one of his nieces' care for the past ninety years, and because he gave it decided, to her, it right. was
0: like happy birthday, and she's like, "Why does my uncle keep giving me yes. mold?"
1: To people who don't know, uh, Alexander Fleming, sort of the, the at least the story goes that he accidentally discovered a um, chemical that killed bacteria when he left his window open to his lab, and when he came back. Uh, a portion of a Petri dish that was containing a bacteria had a spot with no bacteria with a, with, where they had died. And he looked at that. He said, that's kind of weird. What turned out was the mold allegedly flew in through the window, and he was able to isolate that compound. Ta-da, penicillin. And they pumped out that so fast um, that it happened in the like early 1940s and then, oh no, in 1928. So they were able to use that during uh, World War II.
0: And I, I think that if you remember from our previous podcast, we talked about how everyone had syphilis. So this was pretty great to <laughs> uh, not only discover penicillin, That's but also true. to distribute it in mass quantities so because you, uh... Uh, everybody had it.
1: You don't have to join the no-nose club. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also uh, came out in news this week. Apparently scientists have discovered a 500-year-old bacteria in the gut of um, some uh, mummified remains in Mexico, linking the Spanish invasion and conquest of Mexico (sighs) to... A catastrophic salmonella outbreak.
0: I did read that this week.
1: So, not only smallpox and syphilis, but also salmonella. It was not good times to be in Mexico in the 1500s.
0: I thought thought that syphilis was taken back to the New World. That's right.
1: Yeah. I mean, regardless, (laughs) there was some sharing involved.
0: There's some disease bartering going on. That's right. Pretty great.
1: Yes. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, our backgrounds and kind of how we stumbled into public health. And then we have an interview with uh, Donna Peterson, who's the dean of public health at the University of South Florida. So um, my background is in anthropology or the study of humans throughout all time. And nutritional sciences, or how we turn food stuff into energy. Nice. I, like many people, went into um, college wanting to be a doctor and save the world until I realized that I was more interested in learning how to help people, um, help groups of people, rather than curing one person at a time. And that's not a knock against traditional doctoring. We always need doctors. We will always need doctors. But... um, if I may kind of use the old forest versus the trees analogy, it is kind of like looking at why tree A is taller and healthier than tree B, except when you zoom out and you notice that forest A gets their water from a natural spring and forest B gets their water downriver from a nuclear plant. Ooh. So rather than treating each tree individually, you can go literally upstream and look at the cause and treat there, thereby saving forest B instead of going tree one tree at a time. So where doctors use tools like medications and surgeries, public health professionals use policies, legislative actions, and other things like that to implement changes that affect health on broader scales. Um, it's a bit of an, an oversimplification, but that's kind of how I like to explain it sometimes. Except we all know people aren't trees; we are complex social things that walk around, have sex a lot, and eat what we can afford, or sometimes what we can't afford, and what's available. What's available in our environments, and generally like to take a lot of risks. So we're um, a little bit more unpredictable than trees. But that's kind of the analogy I like to use sometimes. So how did you stumble into this weird little field?
0: Well, first, I would really like to say that I liked your analogy a lot. And I liked all the um, crossover between, you know, public health jargon, like upstream Mm. and that sort of thing. So good job integrating all that in. So my... um, (laughs) My stumbling around in public health and, and um, what I'm doing now, um, for most people, it it's it was not a straight line. Um, I originally went to school to be an art teacher and quickly found out that um, I was exhausted by children, and I quickly needed to figure that out because I definitely could not um, continue down the path of education. So um i was very lucky um to be involved in a program called the safer sex patrol
1: (laughs) safer sex patrol
0: which was awesome it still exists at central michigan university go chips and um so there i as a officer of the safer sex patrol um i would hand out condoms uh, literature about safer sex and candy to mm. promote abstinence because we did comprehensive um
1: don't suck on that suck on this
0: I'll have to write that down and oh. send that to them as a suggestion. Oh God. We use smarties. What it was have like I done? be smart about safe sex. Abstinence is the only one hundred percent effective way of blah blah blah. But anyway. Well, well, well. So I got into that um into that program and kept thinking like, how do I do this for the rest of my life? I really enjoy talking to people about sex. I really enjoy doing the programming aspect. Um, And I just happened to be helping at a HIV testing clinic. And uh, there was another girl there who was a student. She said, oh, well, you should major in public health. And I was like, what is that? What is this public health? So I majored in public health. Uh, Central Michigan luckily had a wonderful undergraduate bu- public health program, um, as well as a human sexuality uh, program. So I was able to major in that, minor in uh, family studies and human sexuality. Um, art has still always been a part of my life. I have worked on and off as a freelance graphic designer, and you know now as I'm in my doctorate program, I can definitely see the the intersection of public health and design and marketing and. You know, that's why I'm really interested in social marketing. But it was definitely a lot of, you know, soul searching, trying to figure out what I want to do. I'm really happy that I found kind of my niche. Um, And I think that's one of the things that makes public health so great is that there are a lot of niches in public health. You know, you don't have to. I always felt like I had to choose between, you know, being creative and Mm. being a scientist but you can do both, and actually, it's better to do both because yeah. they need both of those things need each other.
1: The so. old left brain, right brain.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Your your story is is more or less common. Many people who work in public health more or less stumble into it, um, or learn that they have been doing health exactly. public health work yeah. without knowing it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I kind of learned about it during my senior year. Of college at the University of Florida, Go Gators. <laughs> go Gators! <clears throat> Ooh, I, y'all right? Excuse me. <clears throat> I went to a graduate school fair, mostly for the free pens and the slice of pizza.
0: And candy. Sometimes. And
1: candy, sometimes a t shirt if you're lucky, or a frisbee. Um, and ended up talking to someone from the College of Public Health. It was kind of a light bulb moment for me, Ta-da. similar to what you had, because I had no idea what I wanted to do after graduating, and was having that that crisis moment mm-hmm. that many college students experience. I want to help people, but I don't know how. Um, <laughs> after I decided to go to graduate school for public health, I did a fellowship, and I pretty much felt certain that this was for me. Um Now, traditionally, and we'll talk about this a little bit in our interview as well, but public health professionals work in one of two fields, government or academia. This is kind of misleading because there are people whose jobs affect the public's health in almost every single field imaginable, from transportation planners to elementary school teachers to entertainers, artists... And Ooh. activists mm-hmm. um, there are public health facets of just about every job you can think of and I think there's been a little bit of a revolution in the past 10 years or so with um, more and more undergraduate programs and public health popping up in schools and the passing of the affordable care act and all these other and things the prevent-
0: like and the, what is it, the prevention, prevention fund, public
1: health fund yeah. mm-hmm. um, the idea that health happens in more places than the doctor's office where you live where you work where you play where you just Mm -hmm. do stuff and do human things um
0: don't do non-human don't do
1: non-human things things unless you are a non-human
0: yeah and then we can't help you because i don't know anything about public health of non-humans
1: that's right um so with that we will turn it over to our interview do you have anything else you wanted to share I
0: can't think of anything right now. I I will just say that I it's taken me a very long time to really figure it out, I guess. Because even as I got into my MPH program... Oh, I still don't
1: know what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I just want everyone to know that it's okay if you don't know what you're doing. Um, because we're all constantly trying to figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, it's cool to just kind of like go through that journey and like test a few things
1: or as um the comedian pete holmes says do stuff and feel happiness
0: i like that a lot i feel like i really like that a lot yes i think that should be that should just be every college student's motto as long as it's legal
1: that that's true
0: i don't want to promote anything that's illegal we're just getting started you know Oh boy. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's uh let's listen to this interview. How All about right. that. Hello. 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 <gasps> okay, I can hear you, you, you can now. Can you hear me? Oh good. Yes. Hi. Okay. I am so sorry. <laughs> oh, Jesus.
1: <laughs> Technology. Yay. It's
0: wonderful. Yes. Yes, uh yes it is.
2: <laughs> when so it's working. Listen. We thank Peggy, who's a genius. She says, "Well, you have to download the app." I said, "I don't even know what you're talking about."
1: Thanks, Peggy. She yes. says,
2: "Well, this is too hard. Go to the go to the app store and." Buy. I said, I, "I still don't know what you're talking about." Aww, <laughs> I'm an old person, but here we are. You're we not are. an old person.
1: All right, so um, we're going to get started today. We have Donna Peterson. She is the Senior Associate Vice President of USF Health at the University of South Florida in Tampa and Dean of the College of Public Health. She is an author, a professor, and member of numerous advisory boards. We are going to talk to her about the future of public health education and uh, how we need a dedicated public health workforce now more than ever. So welcome to the show.
0: Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being with us, Dr. Patizan. We really, really appreciate you taking the time. You're very welcome. Awesome. So the first question uh, is, tell us about your start in public health. How did you get to be the dean of the University of South Florida, um, the College of Public Health, and, and how you now hold multiple leadership positions? I know you're obviously extremely busy, so we'd love to hear more about your journey to the point where you are now. Sure, Lindsay.
2: I'll I'll do my best to make this brief. So um, it's still true today, though, not as much as it was when I was when I was young and trying to figure out what to do with my life that no one heard of public health. No one knew what it was. It wasn't any anything that anyone ever discussed. And so you had to you had to find it on your own. You had to trip over it. You had to fall over it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happened to me. And I won't go into all the details, but I was sort of hunting for a graduate program, and um, I fell over the School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins. And once I found it, it really met what I wanted, even though I couldn't articulate what that was, because I didn't have the words. Mm -hmm. And you would think that, you know, if I had any any sense at all, I would have said, gee, public health, I wonder if there are other public health schools, but I didn't. I just applied to Johns Hopkins because that's what I found and that's where it's a pretty I, good I place I to start to go. It was a good place to start. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I mean <laughs> it's, it's an alright school. It's an all right school. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of nearby. It's kinda of close. Yeah. But they were, they were starting a new they were thinking about starting a new program for people who didn't come with um, a prior clinical or other professional degree, which is what the program at the time was pretty much geared to across the country, not just there. Um, the MPH, the Master of Public Health MPH degree was pretty much reserved for physicians and nurses and other clinicians and the occasional lawyer. But there were a group of faculty there saying, you know, we need different kind of people in the workforce to support all these programs that are growing. And it might be fun to bring in some people who don't come with that background. So I was in the first cohort of this new, um, this new idea. And there were Mm -hmm. two of us in this program, and it was great fun. And we're still best friends. And So I got a terrific exposure. It was awesome because they weren't quite sure what to do with us. So they kind of made us do everything, Mm -hmm. Yes, which means I got just a huge dose of everything public health. And that, I think, really prepared me for everything I've done since. So I've worked at a couple of state health departments, which I really love. And then I ended up back in academia, which is not where I ever thought I would end up. And through just a series of kind of crazy events, um, was recruited to the University of South Florida by some friends.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I always tell students, you know, remember, be nice to everybody because you don't know.
1: That's <laughs> right. Don't burn bridges.
0: Right.
2: That. It's a small world and this is a very small field. And, yes, it is. You know, so friends of mine down here in Tampa said... Ooh, We're looking for a dean, and we think you'd be great. And I said, I don't think I want to be a dean. And they said, we think you'd be (laughs) great. (laughs) So that was in 2004. So I'm in my 13th year here, which is pretty extraordinary. And I've had a lot of great opportunities here. USF Health is a wonderful place, very open to new ideas. And we do a lot of cross-college work. We do a lot mm-hmm. of interprofessional education stuff. And so when they asked me to serve as the interim dean of nursing, that wasn't that big of a leap because mm-hmm. we're all part of the same family.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, so that's, that's been really nice and learning a lot more about nursing. And I learned a lot more about health in general when I was the acting senior vice president a couple of years ago. Um, really got a good sense of sort of everything that happens in health, which is exciting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh,
2: Yeah, so we're having fun now thinking about different ways we can work more closely together um, across nursing and public health. One, just one example, I teach the leadership class for our doctor of public health students. And one of the senior Mm -hmm. faculty over there teaches the leadership class for the doctor of nursing practice students. And we were both, we had to leave a meeting early because we were going off to teach these leadership classes. And we looked at each other and said, hmm. Do you spell leadership differently than I do? <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could be doing this together and not only would it be better for us, it would be way better for the students. So,
0: yes, well, as someone who's taken your leadership class for the DRPH, I I think it'd be great to be able to take it with um with other at least clinical practitioners just to hear um their perspective, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it's super interesting that thinking about when you entered um, you know, your MPH program that it was reserved for people with a clinical background. (laughs) Cause Mm -hmm. now you just think like, oh, well now it seems like it's almost the opposite. You know, you know, you still see obviously physicians and nurses that are interested in doing community and and public health. But, um, it, I guess I don't see it obviously in my cohort, I didn't see a lot of people that were, you know, um, clinicians. So, Mm-hmm. No and I think
2: we've almost gone too far the other way. I think nationally only 15% of graduates from a, a master of public health programs have a a uh an, an MD degree. Mm-hmm. And so you go from it being nearly 100% to now being yeah. almost none. Um, right. those were both wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, there
0: needs to be a good mix. The
1: Goldilocks zone.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. I need to find that just right spot. Yes. So
1: one of the really interesting things about, um, the field of public health is that it's very multidisciplinary, but at the same time it is itself a discipline. So I was wondering if you could speak about that a little bit and how, um, how you try to describe this field to people who like, you know, you yourself before you even knew about it, um, to try and get people excited and interested.
2: So, I like to refer to public health as as a a profession um, made up of many different perspectives, so all the disciplines of public health and all the disciplines that relate to public health help create the profession of public health
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, if that you know that sort of makes sense at that level um the dean of the Hopkins School of Public Health many, many years ago, actually wrote a paper for Public Health Reports where he said, public health is not a profession, it is a goal.
1: Mm. That's an interesting way of...
2: We still talk about that. Um, The Welsh Rose Report of 1915, which actually laid out the blueprint for education in public health, also spoke to this and said, you know, public health is a goal and it needs many different people from many different perspectives to work toward it. I like that. Um, Right, and and that's that's true. So I don't know why both can't be true.
1: That's true. Well, all gonna, three
2: can't be true. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. put that right.
1: into my toolbox for the next time my grandma asks me what I do.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we all we all have that we all have that challenge, right? My mother still doesn't know what 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 I do. Um, but it is a goal, and it's a goal. And you can ask anybody, and people have done this. They've done these surveys, and if you say, you know, are you a supporter of public health? They don't know what you're talking about. But if you say, are you a supporter of opportunities for everyone to be healthy and healthy environments and healthy air and water and food and safe roads and safe workplaces. People overwhelmingly say yes, of course.
1: Yeah. And there's kind of a reactive public health and a proactive public health where we really only hear, tend to only hear about public health issues, like when there's a national crisis or something really right. bad and scary is happening, like Ebola a couple of years ago, Zika right. last year. But in reality, there's also this proactive element that's looking at laws and regulations to make sure that our drinking water is safe and that, you know, just the, all the different things that go on behind the scenes. And um, I think a lot of people don't know that um, right. because it's like, if you're doing your job right, nothing happens. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. We're the behind the scenes.
2: Yeah. And that's a hard thing to sell to people to say, look, don't you understand what didn't happen because I was here?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's that's very, very hard. And, you
2: know, the diseases you mentioned, there might've been many others were it not for all the surveillance and all of the environmental things that we, we do and the policies that we put in place and, you know, all the things that we try to do to stave off those things. And, you know, occasionally there's a, chink of the armor and we see these things, but people don't Mm -hmm. appreciate that these diseases are with us all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know that you're, um, a part of the, you know, framing the future task force. So I kind of want you to talk about what that is and how you're involved. So the framing the future task force came out of the Association
2: of Schools and Programs of Public Health that's the organization of all the accredited schools and programs across the country and increasingly around the world and I was chairing the education committee um at the time I think this must have been 2012 or 2011 I don't I don't remember um, and we had just finished um, doing a deep dive into what all of these undergraduate programs in public health that were popping up all over the country. What did that mean to the graduate programs and schools? And we had talked a lot about that. And we finished a project where we tried to give any university and college um, some guides, some guidelines on how to include public health. Content into their curricula because that was of interest. We learned around the country, mm-hmm. um, but because we had done that work, then people who were who had public health degrees or who wanted to start public health degrees then said, "Oh, well, the Association of Schools and Programs of Public Health actually cares about undergraduate education, so let's ask them what should be in these in these new undergraduate degrees." Um so we had that to consider. The MPH competencies, which you may remember, um, mm-hmm. had been developed and were, were getting old. You're supposed oh, to yes. review and revise them every three years, right? So that was mm-hmm. like, they were like five years old. The DRPH competencies were also reaching a point where they needed to be looked at, especially if we were going to look at MPH competencies, then we'd have to look at DRPH competencies. Mm-hmm. And then lots of other groups within public health, to your point earlier, well, why aren't you doing uh, competencies for the epi people? And why aren't you doing tobacco control competencies? And why aren't you doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, the education committee was kind of overwhelmed thinking, gosh, I mean, how are we going to do all this stuff? And we can't do it in pieces because it all has to integrate. And, you know, this is just, it's making my head hurt. And I was the chair of the committee and we called a called a meeting of the group and we were all kind of, kind of grappling with this. And a colleague of mine said, you know what? Maybe if we just took a step back and just kind of took an empty room approach. Let's pretend like we don't have anything here. Let's pretend like we all just landed here from another planet. There's no education in public health at all. With everything we know about the world, how would we design educational programs for this field? Hmm. And we said, well, that's, that's a great idea. Let's form a task force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we formed the task force, and I and I thought about it. If not long, I didn't think about this very long because I knew they would ask me who should chair the task force. And when they asked me, I was prepared to answer, and the answer is me <laughs> because mm-hmm. I am one of the few people in a leadership position at a school or a program of public health that only has public health degrees and has only ever practiced public health. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say anything against any of my colleagues. They're all terrific people. But a lot of them come came to public health through other means. So they were clinical professionals first, and
1: right, or they, they tripped into research,
2: it, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and not that they don't have as much passion as I do, but I just felt like I had to give something back. And I told you how I found it in the first place, and and was allowed to enter this, these hallowed halls, and, and yes, you know that that a group of people took a big chance on me, mm-hmm. and I just felt like this was something I needed to do to 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 give back. So we put this task force together we deliberately made it very open we were very inclusive we agreed from the outset to be completely transparent every agenda all the minutes and all of our deliberations were all posted on a website we had, I had a blog where i would put out these provocative questions just to get people to you know comment and mm-hmm. i offered to go anywhere that anyone would have me to have a conversation um, because so um... to me, it was always about the conversation Yes.
1: I have a question. Uh, so this, the Framing the Future Task Force and, um, your work with the School of Public Health is very, um, centered on those, those deliberate public health professionals who are choosing this as a career. And we want to mold them to be very competent and ready to enter the workforce, whether it's governmental, non-governmental, academia, whatever. But we also have people who, like you said, have been doing public health type work and maybe they don't know they are, or they want to learn more. And there's also kind of a like training in place element where you've got like transportation planners who are now learning about complete streets policies and how they can affect the health of a community. And um, you've got a lot of people who are like in their mid career already who are kind of going back and learning about public health from their specific branch of the tree. And um, are you involved in any of that? Or do you have any, any thoughts about sort of the, the mid-career professionals who are doing public health work, but don't know it?
2: So I'm smiling because the Framing the Future Task Force did all the traditional things you would expect. We came up with guidelines for the undergraduate degree. We rewrote the sort of principles around the MPH. We rewrote the principles around the DRPH. But then we did two very important things, which are the two things you just said. One was we put a group together to think about all the other professions who contribute to the public's health. Mm-hmm. And Right, what public health
1: as meant. a goal, not as a...
2: As a goal, exactly. Yeah. And we called it population health in all professions. We did that very deliberately. We didn't call it public health. We called it population health. And we had a wonderful group of people. That that group actually got so big we split into two. Um, and so we had one sort of looking across all the health professions. What were the educational opportunities both ways? It wasn't mm-hmm. just what should architecture students know about public health. No, what should public health students know about architecture? And what should mm-hmm. architecture students do? So the one group was focused on the health professions. The other was focused on all the other professions. And it, that was a huge group. And all the things you could imagine. And again, in the same spirit, open, inclusive, transparent. We you know, we kept adding people and people would come into the conversation and people reviewed all the documents. And so that report is out there. And that report, um, we continue to look for avenues to continue that work. So we have a really good partnership with the, oh, I forget what they're called. They're an urban planning architecture kind of group. And we've we've partnered with them, and then there's all the work going on in the IPEC, the Interprofessional Education Collaborative or Consortium. I forget what the C stands for. Yeah. Um, and that that work is 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 ongoing, but you'll also see in the new um accreditation criteria for schools and programs of public health, which was the other then outcome of all of this work so the mm-hmm. task force was doing all this work, and we were issuing these reports, and I was running around the country and continuing the conversation, and every national meeting we could speak at we did, and you know continuing mm-hmm. the conversation getting people excited um and then the 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 accreditor said, hmm well we The creditor isn't the evil empire that ruins everyone's lives. We are simply the means by which the field sets quality standards that we then um, enforce, right? Mm -hmm. So they said, we hear the field saying we'd like to change. So the accreditation criteria needs to change. So you'll see, even in that accreditation criteria, a nod to this idea that we want to see more innovative programming. We want to see more interprofessional Mm -hmm. Uh, learning opportunities all across, you know, both ways. That's all in there. And then the other piece, the last expert panel that we kind of jumped on at the last minute was with our practice partners, the state health officers, the local health officers, APHA, who said, hey, we can't let this whole Framing the Future effort go by and not speak to the many, 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 many people working In public health and related fields who have no training at all and who need or who do have training, but it's old now. You know, so it's both the kind of post-professional training for people who have credentials. It's the ongoing professional training for people who don't. And it's, again, the cross public-private, different sectors, you know, all of that. We believe is one of the responsibilities of accredited schools and programs, and you'll see that in the new accreditation criteria as well. Now You might not see those last two things with the same level of intensity um, as the others, but at least it's in there, and we are saying to ourselves, "This is part of our responsibility. Our responsibility isn't just to prepare degree prepared professionals; we have to be thinking about how those professionals um, are able to do impactful work and They Mm do more impactful work if they're working with colleagues who have an appreciation for population health and the impact of their policies and their practices on,
0: on population health. So I'm just thinking about, you know, um, those just young, you know, bright eyed, uh, kids that are looking or maybe they've just heard about public health or maybe they're considering getting a graduate degree in public health or, um, maybe minoring in it because um, they're interested in nursing or they're maybe they're pre-med, what advice would you give to a young professional who's thinking about either going straight into public health or adding it to kind of their, I guess, their arsenal of um, academic tools for the real world, I guess?
2: Yeah, so no surprise to either of you. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of I would hope many, so <laughs> as many undergraduates or and even beyond. I mean, the task force actually was going to dive into K twelve and then we just ran out of time. But mm-hmm. um so with that putting that aside, um, as many undergraduates as possible should be exposed to Public health to what, what is it? What does it mean? How does it affect your life? How are, what what should you be attending to in your environment, in your community, in your, in your policies, in in the, in the, in the policies that are being created around you? And mm-hmm. I think the more people that understand that, no matter what profession they, they go into, that's good for all of us. I mean, you know, we started this conversation with no one knows what this thing is. It's mm-hmm. They yeah. don't see it because nothing happens. They don't think about it as a career path. Well, that's partly on us. I mean, we haven't explained it well. We haven't helped people understand how important it is to all of our lives, um, and it is yeah. our lives, not yours. It's it's all of ours,
1: exactly. and it,
2: particularly if you're pursuing any kind of professional degree, whether it's a health profession or another profession, as we just said, that may impact health. Having that, having that broad, um, sort of wide lens perspective, is very, very helpful. And my colleagues in the clinical programs that have students who get a master of public health first or get a public health undergraduate degree first, they said they just come in with a completely different perspective. They just, they think about things in different ways. Mm -hmm. So, because they, you know, and they'll, they'll tell me stories, you know, we're in a, we're in a class and we're talking about this particular disease progression and what kind of, of Treatment might be available. What kind of medication? And and the students that have this public health background will raise their hands and say, "Well, but that medication is really expensive."
1: Yeah, or what about culture, (laughs) or what? What about health literacy? Or that's not acceptable,
2: right? You know, they just they just think differently. Yeah, Yeah, that that always
1: kind of stuck in my craw when I was in undergrad and. I was pre-med kind of like going along, I like science and in biology and taking these classes and similar things like that would come up and it'd be like, well, here's your treatment plan and yada, 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 yada. And I'd be like, well, that's super expensive and no, those people can't do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So definitely, or, you know, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no. I was just going to say, no, it's definitely, I think just having a more um, comprehensive view of the actual person and not necessarily the diagnosis, you know,
2: the person and and the person lives in a family and the family lives in a community and the community lives in a society and, you know, saying, well, people need to exercise more. Well, do you know where they live? (laughs)
1: There's a funny little thing called context.
2: Yeah, right. exactly. You know, well, they yeah. need to eat more low-fat dairy. And, well, do you know where they shop? I mean, you know, it's just having just the insight to think about those things, I think, is a positive. I think that's all positive. Yeah. So, you know, I don't – I mean, I'd love people to get public health degrees, but I'm. I would actually rather see more people – learn more about public health wherever they are and the task force just because yes. it's humorous at one point said you know what if there weren't any schools of public health what if we taught public health really well everywhere else
0: mm-hmm.
2: right yeah right like that's that kind was, of a cool idea yeah and then someone yeah. said well but but who would train those people to do that so we still have to have schools so we said yeah, oh, okay that's true that's a, that's a good
0: point <laughs> uh, it's a good pipe dream but yeah no. And I mean, that's, that's actually, you know, a really big reason why, you know, we decided to do this podcast is that we just, you know, we, you know, we're you know early professionals and even just trying to explain, you know, like you had mentioned your mom, like we both have to continually explain to our parents what exactly we do. Yep. Um, and, and our field is constantly changing depending on what the, you know, priorities are of the time. Um, and, 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 even that makes it difficult, you know? So, um, we just kind of thought maybe we should do a podcast, you know, obviously for public health professionals yeah. that just want to have something to listen to. Um, but also so that the, maybe the broader public could say, Hey, I didn't, I didn't know that about public health or, mm-hmm. you know, wow, I didn't realize that that event that happened in history had a public, that you could look at it from a public health lens. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. did you stretch mm-hmm.
1: before patting yourself on the back that hard, Lindsay? Or yeah. Just- <laughs>
0: I did. Thank you for asking. I'm so, I'm so happy that you're so concerned about my uh, flexibility. That's things. right. But, uh, well, we usually end the, um, interview with, a little um, bit of a
1: lighter question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A much lighter question. So basically, we just want to ask, um, what are you reading right now?
1: It could be public health related or not public or health fun. related.
2: Well, what am I reading right You're going to laugh. So, um, I remarried I remarried three years ago after my first husband passed away ten years ago and then I met a marvelous man and I don't I think it was right after we were married something came up about Harry Potter and he said, I've never seen any of the movies. I said, Oh, well, but you've but I said oh, I said, man. Oh, but you've read the books He said, No, I've never read the books. What? So no. he started and my friends think this is the most romantic thing ever. We are reading the books out loud to each other, which means oh, it has taken us. Oh, my gosh. I know. Isn't that sweet? Oh, it's so my sweet. gosh. Oh,
1: my goodness. But it's <laughs>
2: taking us forever. So we've been married three years. Yeah. We're just now on the last book. Oh, wow.
1: That's, and wow, it's and that, a, yeah. that's a heavy one, too. Yeah. It like, not, so, just, not just content, but like physically.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. A, like
1: 2,000-page hey, dogs.
2: No. Yeah, it's a big, whopping <laughs> book. But the, So what we do is, you know, we read the first book, and then we watch the movie. Okay. We read the second book, and we watch the movie, and then we read the th- – right? So yes. now we're at the yeah. point where we do all the voices, and we, you know. That oh. is great. Because we've seen all the characters, right? So it's yeah. a lot of fun. It's a lot That's of fun. Amazing. And I had – you know, because I read these when my kids were little, when they were coming out, and when the books were coming out. And um, – I had forgotten what is happening in this last book. There's so much going on and yeah. there's so much now that I'm reading them again, there's so much that she really, she laid out the entire arc of the story at the very beginning. She knew exactly where mm-hmm. this was going. Mm-hmm. Right. It wasn't like she wrote one and said, Oh, I got another idea. No, she clearly mm-hmm. planned this. It's it's such genius, just pure genius. And now,
1: did you see um, the fantastic beasts and where to find them? that came out this year last year i haven't it was good i enjoyed it it was really good
2: (laughs) it was just good to i
1: think (laughs) be back in that world again yes after Mm -hmm. a few years out of it it just felt good Mm -hmm. to sit back and be like all right this is comfortable i like this
0: Yeah. yeah i can
1: be back in this space
0: yeah and we're we're both big harry potter fans so uh So yeah, well they're wonderful. They're wonderful books, and it's a it's
2: a beautiful story. And Mm -hmm. you know, I remember my one of my daughters was going to camp right when the last book came out, and they had like they sent letters home, and there were signs all over the camp that if you divulged the ending, (gasps) you were sent home immediately
0: because not everyone
2: had finished. Right? You know, and I thought, well, that was really kind, and the kids were all very respectful. No one said anything. That's good. And what I remember threat, I, was, I was at a dean's meeting, and one of my fellow deans, she's like, oh, my God, the ending. I said, no, oh, I haven't finished it yet. i, uh, I don't it. know. And then she said, well, you have to call me when you finish it. And, I, and it's like a, it's such a amazing ending, right? And I called mm-hmm. her, and we talked for like an hour about yeah. the power of this, this, this catalog of books, this collection of, of just great, yeah. great. And, of yeah. course, reading it now with everything going on in the world is actually kind of scary
1: yeah uh
2: yes
0: uh there's too many many parallels they've taken over the ministry of magic
2: i know that sounds like i know i know i know i have those same thoughts oh man yeah oh yeah that's what i mean so i will eventually finish this and then i can go back to reading other (laughs) other
1: (laughs) yeah
0: well, I'm luckily, really glad to
1: hear that you're reading those.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's awesome. Cuz you know, like we um in in previous inter- interviews, we actually so we interviewed uh Dr. Alfredo Morabia, who's the editor-in-chief of AJPH and um mm-hmm. you know, he reads like three different books at the same time. But they're like history
1: yeah. textbooks. Yeah. They're yeah. they're things that it was it's interesting to get a little window into people's lives to see what's on their
0: bookshelf. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you so much for well, talking thanks. to us today. Thanks
2: to you. This has been fun. I'm sorry about the mix up early on. But oh, I'm my gosh. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, we're we're really happy to have you. So, um, yeah. Well, you have a wonderful afternoon. And Thank you. Thank you. I guess we'll have to talk when you're done finishing. Finish. <laughs> well, no, you already know. You already <laughs> know the you. ending. I
2: already know, but I'm not going to say anything. Okay, I was just look- going to say that's good. <laughs> yeah, don't don't
0: ruin it. All right, but, my friends. Thank you. All right. <laughs> yep. all right. <laughs> fun. Thanks, all right. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Viral. This podcast was written and produced by Quinn Lundquist, that's me, and Lindsey Grove. Our theme is "Take Your Medicine" by the Quick and Easy Boys. If you like our podcast, let us know. Leave a review. Tell your friends. But most importantly, make sure to always wash your hands. The Quick and the Easy Boys.
0: Not
1: only are they quick, but they also easy. Today's public health fact, we need new blood in the workforce, and I'm not talking about medieval bloodletting. Today, the average age of a public health worker is 48, and some estimates say 38% of workers in public health jobs are planning to leave their current positions before the next decade.